With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the darker side of boxing, season three, episode number six. This story is about the light heavyweight Adonis Stevenson, a fighter who you may remember from only a few years ago, who was a WBC light heavyweight champion of the world for an extended period of time. But did you really know who Adonis Stevenson was and is? Did you know about his past? Did you know what things happened outside of the ring? Well, this episode is all about that, and we titled it Redemption or Retribution, the story of Adonis Stevenson. It is a story that I'm looking forward to doing, and the information we've sourced for this episode, various different places we've sourced from the episode, and of course we try to present as much factual information as possible, and that's what we've done here, as much factual information as possible, as sourced by various different journalists, various different articles, various different bits of literature. So, if Adonis Stevenson listens to this episode and he's not too happy with some of the things that I put in it, I'm just going to say straight out, it's not our information, we're just storytelling. And that's precisely what we're doing. We are providing a story from the beginning to the end. Many people will know Adonis Stevenson, obviously, we've we watched him as as boxing fans. Um, some of the stuff that we're going to go into, some of the details, it's out there. You can quite easily stick it in Google and you can search things yourself. We've got a little bit more in depth, you know, historic articles as such. We've managed to pull from from Canada and and other articles as well. We, we try our best to name all of those articles and all the places they've come from. But look, this is a fascinating tale. It really is, and it is one of those stories where, at the end of it, you you make your own mind up. Is it redemption or is it retribution? The story of Adonis Stevenson is going to give us that, that's for sure. So Adonis Stevenson was born Stevenson Adonis on September 22nd, 1977 in Port-au-Prince in Haiti, where he lived for just six years before his mother decided to move the family to Montreal, Canada, and then to Quebec. Stevenson told the ring, I didn't meet my father. He died when my mother was pregnant with me. When I was a kid... I always said, why has my father died? It was very difficult. You grow up without your father. My mum was my mother and father. She did everything for me. She worked a lot. She's a fighter. Not only did Adonis have to try and adapt to a new country and a new language, he was then placed into a group foster home. An assessment by a psychiatrist explains his personality in a little more detail and it reads... Moved at six years old to Montreal, the patient had a very difficult childhood. I had a lot of problems at school, said the patient. The child was placed in a group foster home. When I turned eight, my mother put me there. She remarried and had three more boys and had no time for me. 
I was lost. No mother, no father. For the most part, the patient had no parents, no parenting, no guidance, no direction. My family had given up on me. I had nothing to hold on to. Adonis had three brothers, a sister and three half-brothers and explained the family dynamics and said, I came to Canada when I was five to six years old. Then after that, I had problems. I was in a foster home when I was seven to eight years old. I don't know my dad. My life was very, very hard. I was poor. From a very young age, Adonis felt abandoned, but his tough upbringing taught him how to survive through using his fists. Well, he began to get involved in petty crimes like street muggings, thieving, fighting as such, and he earned himself a reputation as a tough kid and fell in with the wrong group. They, of course, took advantage of young Adonis by showing him respect when the others didn't. Even within a school environment, he was fouled by his teachers. No one took the troubled Adonis under their wing and tried to guide him down a different route. So he was he dropped out of school eventually very early in his life. And he recalled that it was very hard to be reached with no father, six brothers, one sister. You don't have time to go to school because you just have to survive. The gangsters are like your family. Now, with a lack of education and love from his family, it was inevitable that he would fall into the street life culture that teaches you no compassion whatsoever. In later life, he admitted that I was a stupid kid. I was only young and I hurt people without truly realising. It's hard when you come from nothing and get mixed in with the wrong crowds. He remembered his bleak future as a young boy growing up on the streets. And he said, when you're a kid and you're in the streets, you don't think I'm going to college to be a doctor. You survive, you know. So after leaving his foster home and moving back in with his mother, her new husband and the rest of his siblings, he abandoned the family home for, for good and he began his life fully on the streets. Now, as with many kids, many young black kids as well in the society, uh, this in particular obviously in Canada, who have no future, no family to depend on, he joined a local gang and they were called the Black Panthers. Their name, more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely came from the Montreal Black Panthers baseball team, which actually were established itself in Canada during the 1920s. We're not sure, but it would seem that way. But yeah, in a gang called the Black Panthers. Interestingly, during the early to mid-90s, when Adonis was a firm member of the gang, Quebec generally had the lowest crime rates among the larger census metropolitan areas, also known as the CMAs. In 1995, Quebec's rate was ranked as either the lowest or second lowest for the offences of homicide, sexual assault, major assault, common assault, weapons and explosives and motor vehicle theft. Although this doesn't mean much when moving on to what Adonis and his gang go on to do, it does suggest that any hellacious crime at this time would have been documented in Quebec due to its low crime rate. Soon enough, Adonis had increased his reputation as he rose through the ranks of the violent gang and was firmly en route for disaster. Adonis recalled, I was a gang member, knocking everybody out. By 14, he was now out of control, spending all of his time on the streets. He said, when I'd fight in the street, I'd get in trouble. The authorities would have known who Adonis was, yet 
there was still no intervention from his family, social services or education sector. His level of crimes became more serious, but it was his toughness, even though he was younger than most of his gang members, that was his strength. To the point where he became a bodyguard for one of the gang ringleaders. His first link with a gym came when he was instructed by his ringleader to stand guard while he worked out. When trouble was clear, Adonis would take to the bag himself, which caught the eye of a karate master called Tiger Paul, who quickly took Stevenson under his wing. Adonis simply said, he saw that I had talent. Although Adonis did begin to box in some form with the Sydney Olympics' long-term goal, his talent wouldn't come to fruition for a few more years yet. So the gang he was with, the Black Panthers, they decided to establish itself into a sex trafficking ring, or, as many may know, the, the escort agency, the code word often used to describe this vicious criminal enterprise. Now, the word we would commonly use is pimping, which was comically glamorised in the hip-hop culture, especially during those the late 80s into the early 90s by artists such as Ice-T, Big Daddy Kane, NWA, you know, later Snoop Dogg, two pup biggie smalls all those guys you know you've seen the videos and they do glamorize it so the black panthers well they used violence imprisonment and terror on young girls young runaway girls that had simply beyond comparison of even the most forgiving person it really is we're going to go into the details of this but it is quite bad so you know be prepared now although stevenson was not the ringleader he became an all too willing participant To give you a more in-depth picture, we will use an article that you can find with a simple Google search, as I've said at the start, that was written by Caroline Tuzin and entitled Le Noirca. Obviously, you know, for those that don't know, Quebec in Canada, they do speak French out there. And the article was written in French, the spoken language of Quebec, and was translated into English. This best describes the exploits of Adonis Stevenson and his gang. Now, most of the information Caroline describes comes from court transcripts, which we have broken into segments throughout this episode, as we like to present our stories in this timeline format. This is how Caroline opens her article. Now, she says, on September the 12th, 1998, in Anu, Quebec, tension is high on the rundown streets of Judith Jasmine's. The two young prostitutes, Roxana and Isabel, their fictitious names, plotted to assassinate Adonis and Fox, according to legal documents consulted by La Presse. Now, Adonis, 21 years old, and Fox, 23, were always inseparable. Together, they found the Obsession and Orgasm Escorting Agency, Incorporated with another one of their gang members who was Pascal Almonese. A fourth man would later join their ranks. Now, interestingly, their business was actually listed as a legitimate escorting agency. So can you imagine that? Obsession and Orgasm Escorting Agency Incorporated, registered legitimately. And it was actually registered to a 22-year-old college student her name was Melissa Fubol to Letter Chance. Now, she actually helped them with the paperwork while not at school. 
Before we continue with Caroline's article, we must point out that neither of these girls were prostitutes before they met the gang members. One was an exotic dancer and the other was working in a shop. A further two girls are added to the equation. The article described that the girls between 17 and 25 years of age would work 24-7. They have no right to leave the building without authorisation, every one of them in love with a member of the gang. Adonis pimps out two young ladies. Isabel had already been an erotic dancer before they met. She said as she saw him, I want someone like that. Adonis would later recruit Veronique, the second girl, at La Ronde, where she worked. At the end of one of her shifts, Adonis invites her to a party. She was ready to do anything for him, as she would later testify. He promises them finances. To get there, a lot of money was needed. Prostitution is only temporary. Just a quick way to get their main objective. The gang members would even get money from the girls' purses. They would leave them 10 to $20 to let them eat at McDonald's and charge $120 per hour for sex. Isabel figures that in a few months, she'll be able to get $40,000 for Adonis. In the coming months, the situation worsens. The girls get beaten when not enough cash is brought in. Fox rapes when he pleases. One day, Isabel confides in Roxanne that she wants to kill Adonis. He's been beating her more often as of recent. One day, he brandishes his knife and asks her to choose. Either she gets it up the arse or he sodomises her. Roxanne convinces Isabel that it'd be best to go straight for the head of the table, and that was Fox. Wow, I don't even know what to say about that. Um, that is crazy. So moving on, she's uh, got a client who can take care of it, so take care of Fox. Before anything is set in stone, Isabel reveals everything to Fox. He is furious that that night the gang punishes Roxanne while Isabel is forced to watch. Fox starts things off and literally jumps Roxanne while she's seated on the sofa in the lounge. Adonis and Pascal join him. Blood begins to flow. Fox pulls a knife on the young girl. He continuously places the blade only millimetres away from her skin. Roxanne later testified, everyone beat me. You get punches on the head, in the ribs, in the face. From a broken nose to a fractured jaw, every single member made her suffer. The next day, she was beat once again. Exhausted, she denounces Isabel, who is stealing the gang, by keeping the extra money given to her from clients. She's skimming from them. Now it was Isabel's turn. Isabel testified that Adonis hit her in the face. After that, he took the knife and he put it against my fingers upside down, but I still felt its pressure. Adonis didn't follow through with the threat, and only remarked, come to bed, you know that you're my woman and that I love you, right? To continue the torture, the guys come up with a new idea. Now, they organise a boxing match between the two conspirators. Adonis lends them a pair of boxing gloves. Anything goes. Roxanne explains that if I didn't knock out Isabel, it would be Fox who would knock me out. So they've given these girls boxing gloves and they're now going to tell them to fight each other until someone gets knocked out. Near the end of September 1998, Roxanne finally begged her way out so she would be allowed to see her father. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She swears she will tell him nothing. She does her best to hide her bruises with excessive makeup. But once in front of her father, she bursts into tears. She recounts her nightmare. He hides her in a safe place and she would later go to the police. Roxanne's disappearance brings about agitation. The gang move the girls around from one motel to the next. Since the police never came, they would later return to the apartment in Anjou in the morning, October 21st, 1998. The police enter the establishment. The members are cuffed and the girls are taken away as well. They would reveal everything. No less than 32 accusations are placed against the four men. That included prostitution, death threats, assault and battery. All four are sent straight to the Riviere de Prayer prison in Montreal, which is a pre-trial confinement while they waited for their day in court. Then on April 2nd, 2000, at the prison, Adonis is placed in the protection section of the prison alongside another one of the accused. The men are confined to their cells for 23 hours a day. At 5 o'clock, it's visit time. The detained wait for their doors to open so they can get to their booths. One man legs behind, Adonis. Another inmate, Guy Langloy, impatiently screams, You're coming out or what? in a disrespectful tone. Adonis responds, You talking to me like that? The man replies, Yeah, in the same tone. Things do not escalate any further. At 7.30, a brawl breaks out between 10 inmates. Cries resonate through the halls. Tensions rise. As the guards arrive, Langloy is out on his back in front of a cell. Adonis violently kicks Langloy in the head. I dreamt about that for three days. I had never seen anything so violent in my 11 years, said a prison officer, according to court documents. Langloy was bleeding from the mouth and was having convulsions. He was later transported to a hospital in which he would later fall into a coma. Despite the double fractures to his skull, he would be hospitalised for 10 days and later survived. Well, Adonis, he claimed that he was jumped by about 10 men, some armed with makeshift shivs, and he responded by knocking out five or six of them before the guards arrived. He protested that they knew I could box. They wanted to test me. That's what prison is like. A few days later, the first appearance in front of the judge, the accused begged for their liberty. And Adonis actually testified this in court. He said, my goal is to go to the Olympics. Before the arrest, I was training myself regularly six hours a day. I train in the morning. I run for two hours. Well, the judge refused, thankfully. He actually refused to free the gang at all because in his eyes they were too dangerous. Now at the hearing, the four girls would denounce each of the accused. None of the accused would attempt to defend themselves. As he would recall, as in Adonis, was actually ordered not to testify. And he said himself that of course 
there are some uh, repercussions if you talk in those types of situations. You can't talk. I respected that. So obviously he felt that like he, he would get in trouble by grassing people up. You know, most of, most of the time that is the case. So during the trial, the 17-year-old victim testified. She said that they told me if I escape, they will kill me and my family. So I wouldn't leave. I was just too terrified. She told them, so she told the court that she told the gang that she would give them $15,000 if they did not harm her and her family. And, but they bargained back saying that they wanted $25,000. That she was a 17-year-old runaway that wasn't getting on with her mum. A week later, she met one of the guys in the fall of 1997 and they moved into his apartment that he shared with everybody. She said she was immediately pressed to start dancing, but she resisted and cried. They eventually wore her down and she eventually caved in under the pressure and did as she was told. After a week of dancing in Quebec, she returned to the apartment and he told her, so one of the guys, that, I'm not sure, she didn't identify the person, but it was one of them, told her that it's time for you to get to work in the escort service. The words or the specific words she used in court was, you're ready now. After getting this young girl to work for an escort service for a couple of days, they decided that it would make more sense to start their own. She said they would take all the money she made and put it in an account for the future. But the only time she saw any money was when they gave her money for food. All the girls testified that they were kept hostage and that Adonis was definitely involved heavily in their capture and abuse. They all testified that they planned to kill Adonis and Fox and that one of the four men burnt her back with a cigarette. Then she said they would hit me until they got tired of it. In May 2000, Judge Jean-Pierre declared there is no doubt whatsoever that the defendants lived off the fruits of the prostitution of all the young girls who were described in the indictment. Young girls were severely beaten. They were forced to fight each other. They were forced to commit lesbian-like acts. They were threatened with their lives if they even suggested leaving the group. Fox, however, was definitely the head of the group. Adonis had control over two young girls whose income he received as a partner in the computer company that served as an awful front for the gang. He bore witness to the gang's criminal activities. He was present when the girls would get beaten. The accused were found guilty. Fox received five years in prison while Adonis and Pascal were sent to prison for four years. Because they had already been in a preventative holding for 20 months, which counted as twice the amount of time, Adonis would only serve another eight months. Adonis, who was described as the lieutenant rather than the general of this sex trafficking operation, was sent to Bordeaux prison in Montreal, where he saw out the remainder of his prison term. Now, a few years later, he said that I wouldn't say I was scared for my health, but I was scared I would never come out. When you go into a place like that, you never truly know if you're going to get out. Some fucked up stuff goes on in there. Now, as described by Caroline Tuzin, the boxer's legal troubles, as in this is Adonis's legal troubles, did not end there. Another trial would have him testify for the scuffle that took place last time he was imprisoned, so in the other prison. He was accused of attempted murder or aggravated assault. 
To his delight, the heaviest accusation was dropped. So the murder, the attempted murder was dropped. And in September 2000, he pleaded guilty to the aggression charges. He received an extra one month in prison for that. I mean, talk about leniency. Once released in February 2001, he would make a pact with himself. Never again would I go back. It's time to get back to the gym. And as soon as Adonis was paroled, he vowed that he would never relapse. He left prison with nothing, limited boxing skills and little hope for the future. He hooked up once again with Tiger Paul and the sport helped him or give him the discipline needed, immersing himself into the training. He actually told Bleacher Report that boxing helped him turn his life around. And he said that it's helped me be more disciplined. When you box, you have to rely on yourself. Everything that happens in the ring is you. You have to be focused. You have to have dedication. Adonis also said in another interview that boxing educated me. If you have a kid who's on the street and he saw me or another boxer, he can say to himself, I can do this. It can change his life. Well, let's take a moment before we carry on with Adonis' story, really to reflect upon what is a hard opening to this episode of The Darker Side of Boxing, straight for the jugular in this instance with the story of Adonis Stevenson. You know, there's a lot of information in there that genuinely I didn't know. I'd heard rumours, I'd read limited information about Adonis Stevenson and his past, but I'd never truly gone into the depths of what we've gone to here to find out how things really were and what really happened. But oh my God, is this absolutely shocking information about Adonis Stevenson? And does it change my perspective on him? Of course it does, of course. Like this is stuff that, you know, these people that the crimes were committed against have got to live with for the rest of their lives, regardless of where he is in his life now, which we'll, of course, talk about as we go through the rest of the story. But, you know, that impact that he's had on somebody else's life is something that they've got to live with. You know, the fact that he was involved in a sex trafficking organisation, essentially pimping, is is shocking as well. It just, he just doesn't really make me understand, like, why this would be the choice of organised crime to go into. It makes me wonder what it was that sort of prompted him to go into this level of organised crime because you would expect it to be more, you know, violent crime against other gang members maybe or maybe armed robberies or things of that nature. But basically prostituting girls, beating girls, holding them prisoner essentially is... It's a shocking crime and genuinely for me, shocked me to my core the first time we started going into the research of this and then delivering this the way we have for this episode, it it kind of gives me goosebumps really thinking about what happened there. It does. I think we tried to highlight the fact that he does have a troubled upbringing. We've had so many guys that have had that and they've gone on to just do a lot of fighting in the street. You know, there's some there's a lot of lot of those episodes where you know they end up becoming a part of a gang and and fighting other gangs and then it goes on as you say to petty crimes and maybe even a little bit worse than that. But to to uh, like it, it's 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 difficult for you for, to forgive someone like that that's done that to someone and you know you can't help. I've got a child myself and I've not got a daughter, but could you imagine if that was your daughter, Sean? I mean, it, 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 you bear to even think about that and what you would want to do to that piece of shit. 
you can sort of feel like maybe he was being forced into it himself because he was the younger of the lot. But even then, and he's un- uneducated, you can't even make excuses for that. You know, you you he's threatened to stick his knife up someone, a girl's, a poor young girl's ass, or he's going to fuck her up the ass. That is just, that for me, he's done that. I mean, I can't get that out of my head. If I ever see that guy, I can't, that's the first thing I think of, that he said that in a courtroom. He didn't dispute those statements. They were true. It was in a freaking court of law. The one thing I will say is the leniency on that. I mean, how bad is that prison he was in to be, it was double the service as well. I mean, like it does 20 months and they're saying that actually, you know, because you're in this, Nick, it's double the time because it, was it that bad? Did he, I mean, he had a mad scuff. I think that's the other thing as well is the fact that he's had a fight with someone, the dude's unconscious, he steps on his head and he gets an extra month for that. The guy for me deserved to be in prison for a lot longer and we wouldn't be talking about Daniel Stevens in the boxer, but we'll come to that at the end. It's really troubling, isn't it, though, Sean? It's disgusting. To, it's just, it's fucking awful. It really is. And it's, it's when, you, when you're reading this and you're writing this down and you, we're, we're actually verbally saying these things, I just can't help but just feel sad for those poor young girls. Absolutely. So moving into the next stage of this story with Adonis Stevenson, and at 25 years old, he began his short but successful amateur career in Canada. He lost to Jean Pascal in the 2003 Canadian National Senior Elite Championship final, but in 2004, he won the Quebec amateur middleweight title. He was Canada's best amateur boxer in both 2005 and 2006, winning a silver medal at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, Australia. After his success at the Commonwealth Games, promoter Yvonne Michel offered him a chance to move over to the professional ranks. Michel, who had worked with hundreds of fighters as head coach of Canada's national team and was the president of the Montreal promotion company Group Yvonne Michel, GYM, said this when he signed Adonis Stevenson. I don't want to excuse anything that he has done, but don't forget he was raised in the street. He did something bad, and I know he regrets it. But if you believe he should be punished for the rest of his life for something he did as a teenager, look in the mirror and find somebody who's never made a mistake. Michel added, I looked into him and I knew what I was getting into. At the beginning, sure, I hesitated. I wanted to know what it was and who he was, but after talking to people, we believe that someone like Adonis deserves a second chance. He surrounded himself with bad people and paid the price. He has taken his life under control. Adonis made his professional debut at 29 years of age on September 30th 2006 against fellow debutant Mike Funk at the Montreal Casino in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Stevenson knocked Funk out with a hook after just 22 seconds in the super middleweight division. He then strung together a series of highlight reel knockouts, winning all five of his fights by knockout, four of them in the first round and one in the second. Just before I move on, I've got to say, Michelle, mate, what the fuck? Look at yourself in the mirror. Well, I can honestly say I've never pimped any young girls out. I mean, look at myself in the mirror. That's just fucking such a difficult promoter thing to say. Due to his punching power, Adonis nicknamed himself Superman, suggesting that his left hook is the Superman punch. That's what he called it. In his next eight fights, Stevenson knocked out five more opponents and went the distance with three, taking his career record to 13-0 with 10 KOs. On April 16, 2010, Adonis made his American debut in Maryland, 
against a journeyman called Darnell Boone under the promotional banner of Lou DeBella. The fight didn't go as planned, and Boone described the fight to Ring TV. So this is what he said. He said, uh, he came straight forward to me, trying to walk me down and tried to bully me around the ring and get me in the corners to try to bang me out. I had hit him with two shots, an uppercut and a hook, before the first round ended. I don't think he really recovered from those shots. When he came out for the second round, I hit him with a flash jab and he and hit him with an overhand right. And uh, that was that. And that was the end of the fight. Adonis lost the fight. Adonis was actually adamant that the referee stopped the fight prematurely. He, he said himself that I was never knocked out. I got up and the ref stopped the fight. I was sort of quite happy to hear that he got knocked down. However, he later admitted that um, I was not in any shape for the fight. I had some bad people around me. I hadn't fought in almost a year. I had lots of problems around me. He had a lot of problems before that too. Adonis dusted himself down and headed back to Montreal where he knocked out Derek Edwards in the third round, collecting the North American Boxing Association, the NABA super middleweight title in the process. He then appeared on the Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Victor Ortiz undercard at the MGM Grand in Vegas, stopping a guy called Dion Savage in the first round and would actually never, ever return to the United States to fight again, which is, I was quite surprised. I thought he at least had another one before that. Uh, on December the 10th, 2011, Adonis retained the NABA title and collected the vacant North American Boxing Association, the NABO Super Middleweight title, all these uh, ABC titles he was picking up here, with a ninth-round stoppage win against Aaron Pryor Jr., who would actually be a part of his entourage later on. But the, uh, this this loss actually effectively ended uh, Pryor Jr.'s boxing career. Adonis ended the year in a good place. He had been with his girlfriend, Simone God, for four years and they already had two young girls with another child on the way. By the start of 2012, Adonis was confident that a victory over Jesus Gonzalez in an IBF title eliminator would shoot him up the rankings and into world title contention. However, it was at the press conference before his scheduled fight on Fight Now TV pay-per-view that his past was leaked to the public. Philboxing.com reported in February that for years it was rumoured that Adonis Stevenson was arrested during his late teenage years for pimping and assaulting underage girls, but Montreal police refused to confirm or deny the allegations. When asked by a relentless reporter who eventually emailed members of the Canadian press asking for help, he got his wish. Unbelievably, Adonis had managed to represent Canada at the Commonwealth Games in 2006, turn pro that same year and accumulate a record of 16-1. Yet no one ever knew about his past. Or did they? Did they just refuse to investigate further because the information was at hand if someone else ever bothered to check on the internet? Now continuing on with that article on philboxing.com, it reads, Adonis Stevenson's past was brought up by Montreal Gazette reporter Herb Suoske, who addressed the issue at the press conference. And the 34-year-old Stevenson, taken by surprise, admitted to serving 18 months in a Bordeaux jail on charges of managing prostitutes, assault and making threats. His belated public confession answers the basic questions, but he failed to elaborate on whether he received professional treatment for his bizarre behaviour. Jail time isn't considered the best therapy for someone convicted of peddling sex, assault, 
and making threats. To add to the needle to this fight, because there is a fight, this is the press conference, uh, Jesus Gonzalez. Well, he said at the press conference as well, he said, I know his past. He likes kids and girls. If you're poor and rob a bank, you can be forgiven. Or even if you kill, if someone has threatened you. But when you rape and beat up little girls, what kind of guy is that? He's a piece of shit. You can't forgive that. It's an issue that bothers me. But that's his past, not mine. Well, later that day, obviously, Adonis is pissed off of that statement. He posts a, a statement on Facebook, funny enough, because, you know, this is the time. This is probably the this is the most recent of uh, Dark Side of Boxing episodes, that's for sure. Uh, and he po- posted in his Facebook post that uh, Gonzalez is a fucking racist and a fucking liar. He called me a stinking N-word. Saturday night, I'm going to knock this motherfucker out. Well, the article by philboxing.com, then explain that the disclosure opens up a uh, discussion on whether or not Stevenson's ring performance will be affected by the news and how much did his new trainer, because this is new trainer now that came into the equation, was actually Emmanuel Stewart, know about the incident and conviction. Stewart wasn't at the press conference, but the same relentless reporter placed a call to Stewart's business office in Detroit And the associate told the journalist that the Hall of Fame trainer had a computer in his office and he always did a thorough search on his prospective clients. And this is what the article said. Apparently, he didn't Google enough, which is (laughs) a great response because that's probably exactly it. Now, although Adonis had indeed admitted to his criminal past, he hadn't elaborated on what he had actually done. That would come out in full details in 2013, the next year. But that did not stop his opponent, Gonzalez, meeting with the Boxing Insider about their bout and answering a few questions. Now, they asked if he could share his thoughts on the statement by Adonis Stevenson posted, accusing him of calling him the N-word. And Gonzalez responded, he's a liar. The people at the press conference know it's a desperate lie. Asked if he could confirm 100% that he did not use a racial slur against Adonis, Gonzalez replied, No, of course not. He was very smelly at the press conference, and I said he stinks like shit. You can confirm that I didn't say the N-word. Jesus Gonzalez then went on to say, He just has a big mouth and I got under his skin, so he went and I guess posted the lie that I called him the N-word. Everyone that was there knows it's a lie. Boxing Insider wanted to know if his intention was to get under his skin by bringing up his criminal past, and Gonzalez responded, No, I never brought the issue up. A journalist asked me the question, and I just told him what I know. I just want to fight. I don't get into that drama. Hopefully, he's sorry for his past. He's a dramatic guy. Now, in the end, Adonis had to come clean, and he admitted to the Montreal Gazette, I paid my dues to society. It has been 14 years. That's a long time. I have never had a criminal record since. The event promoter, Yvonne Michel, was quick to point out that Stevenson was never found guilty of rape, sexual assault or aggravated assault, as Jesus Gonzalez allegedly suggested. Michel said he was part of a gang that operated an escort service and Adonis was just a small player that was following orders. Then he admitted, 
but I don't want to diminish the fact that he was beating girls. That's very bad. Jesus Gonzalez then announced that for his bout against Stevenson, his trunks would include a patch from a woman's shelter and he said, while I was in training camp, I was contacted and asked if I would wear it on my trunks. I work with lots of charities in Arizona, so it don't hurt me to wear their logo. It looks like Adonis is mistaking kindness for weakness. Well, at this time, uh, Nigel Collins, former editor of The Ring magazine, who was also an analyst for ESPN.com, said this on the subject. He said, this sort of thing is a way out of a hole for a lot of people, whether it's prison and economic situation, who knows? Boxing is a refuge for the outcast and the outlaw in this world. The fight went ahead as scheduled, but for all the attention and entertainment Gonzalez dished out before the fight, well, his performance in the ring was very ordinary. In the second round, he ate a left hand or uh, the Superman punch from Stevenson and wound up on his back and out for the can. Unfortunately, it was a bad knockout. For him, anyway. In an article by Brian Curtis, written on uh, May the 23rd, 2014, he wrote that after the Gonzalez knockout victory, Stevenson's backstory seemed to fade away. The question of trying to figure out exactly what Stevenson had done and whether it ought to follow him from fight to fight passed through a number of media entities. Wealth TV, now AWE, aired his October 2012 victory over Donovan George. Next, Stevenson graduated to HBO before his June 8, 2013 bout against then light heavyweight champion Chad Dawson. The network's play-by-play man, Jim Lampley, noted, Stevenson's first appearance at this level of the sport commands us to show you the dark side of his background. Lampley then mentioned Stevenson's various abuses against women while working for an escort service. And in a taped interview, Stevenson said he had turned his life around in prison. Now, his successful IBF super middleweight elimination victories did not get him a world title shot, which, to be fair, he deserved. Before moving up to light heavyweight division, Adonis actually stated the reason why he was not able to secure a world title fight, in his opinion. He accused Cole Froch and Mikel Kessler of ducking him and fighting each other instead in a rematch. As mentioned by Brian Curtis, he did finally get his shot at a world title in his new division after knocking out Darnell Boone in the sixth round of their rematch. Adonis told Bleacher Report that he demanded the fight with Boone ahead of his championship opportunity against Chad Dawson because he knew he had something to prove and he said, I told my promoter I needed the rematch. He got me the rematch and I stopped him. That's my best knockout. I don't think he'll come back from that. I broke his nose, his rib, his jaw, his cheek. I destroyed him. So he can't come back now. Before the June 8th fight against Chad Dawson in Montreal, Alex McClintock of Queensbury Rules highlighted Adonis's past once more in his article when he wrote, I hope he, as in Dawson, puts a bit of a hurting on the guy too. Pimping and assaulting underage girls isn't the kind of thing we should really let slide just because someone is a big puncher. McClintock's hopes were dashed in all of 76 seconds, the time it took for Stevenson to knock out Dawson in spectacular fashion to win the WBC and the ring light heavyweight titles. It was a stunning one-punch knockout. 
His Superman punch, a clean left hand, landed right on the button and obliterated Dawson. Yes, it was quick, but it was also memorable. The moment that I personally first witnessed his power and had no idea about his past. And in the post-fight interview, Stevenson told HBO's Max Kellerman, I caught him and that's a beautiful punch. Dawson admitted, it was a punch I didn't see. He caught me. That's it, he caught me with a good punch. The knockout was voted as Ring Magazine's Knockout of the Year for 2013. After his impressive victory, Adonis then said, It is a dream come true. I want to unify the titles with Bernard Hopkins and I want to fight Andre Ward. It really was, uh, it threw him right on the map. I remember that night, uh, that fight especially. I thought it'd be a lot closer. Originally, the WBC ordered Stevenson to make his first defence against Tony Bellew. But then they allowed him to make a mandatory defence against the former title holder, Tavares Cloud. Now, on September the 28th, 2013, live on HBO at the Bell Centre in Montreal, Canada, the 36-year-old Stevenson hurt Cloud with a stiff left in the opening round that left him with a cut and swollen eyelid. The fight continued for seven more rounds before Cloud failed to answer the bell for the eighth round. After the fight, Adonis was pleased with his performance. He said, I'm proud because I worked hard and I showed I can box. I did everything according to my game plan. My corner said to go to the body. I knew the longer it went on, it would be in my favour because I was wearing him down. Stevenson's next fight was a mandatory defence against our very own Tony Bellew, who said himself that I'm not five foot ten like Cloud and I'm not scared or intimidated by Adonis Stevenson. I'll come with a game plan and execute it. However, before Stevenson faced Tony Bellew, a more full account of his criminal record came to light on November the 23rd, 2013, when the Montreal French-language newspaper La Presse ran a story headlined Le Vert History, Histoire de Superman. What it means, what it translates to is the real story of Superman. That's what they printed. And Stevenson was enraged as well by this. He was absolutely enraged. I mean, how dare they? Just, you know, come out and talk about my criminal past. Well, he was so enraged with Lepresse's story that, but he didn't deny any of the details, but he said, when I become world champion and do good things, it's not on the front page. This doesn't make sense. You know what you can call it? You can call that racist. My goodness, me, Adonis, you are not helping yourself. Michelle said the boxer felt like he was a victim of a media conspiracy. The Toronto Star ran a story with the headline, Adonis Stevenson is a world champion. Does boxing care that he used to be a pimp? Adonis then participated in an interview with the star and expressed regret over the acts that landed him in prison and hoped that his success could inspire other former convicts. And he said, for sure, I feel remorse. A lot of people think that when you go to jail, life is over. It's been 20 years but some people still try to put me in a bad light. But life doesn't work like that. You can change. I've changed. I've worked at it a lot. Stevenson then went on to say that he encourages young people in legal trouble, helping them envision life beyond crime. And he said, I advise them that they can change. I'm a good example. The most important thing is hard work and dedication and never let people talk to you like you can't become something. A social worker, 
Katrina McLeod, who runs Rising Angels, an advocacy and awareness organisation for sex workers, said, I'm glad Stevenson has smartened up and made something of himself, but the damage he's left behind is not cool. It ruins you socially. It ruins you for relationships with men. How can you trust a man? These women have lifelong scars and some of them don't get past this. Adonis's girlfriend, Simone God, told the Toronto Star that Stevenson's example should serve as an inspiration and said people can think to themselves, I've messed up and I went to prison, but that's not the end for me. If I want to change my life, I have Adonis Stevenson who's done it, so I know I can do it. He's a great example to those who are 18, 19, black immigrants, minorities who have made mistakes, but are willing to change. I mean, we'll go into this after, but I can't help myself. Sure. I mean, it is just, at the end of the day, you're going to become a professional footballer. You're going to be in the spotlight. You're going to have to take this. You need to get ahead of it and then just come out of it from the off. But people are going to keep calling you a rapist and a whatever you was. They're going to keep doing it. Unfortunately, if you want to be in the limelight, you're going to have to take the shit. And well, so this is where we move back to the article written by Caroline Tuzin uh, in November 2013. And she wrote that, so this is a part of the same article. This is where it all came from for her as well, I'm guessing. So this is in her words. She said, earlier this month, we ran into him, Adonis Stevenson, while he was training for his fight against Tony Bellew on November the 30th in Quebec. The boxer allowed us to go back on a few elements of his past. He, he paid some lip service, regretting what the girls had to endure. Adonis would later assure that he had cleaned up his entourage since. The press would later find two of the gang's victims to shed some light on the role Adonis played back in the day. Now, despite the amount of time that had passed, the two still tremble at the fault. One no longer despises the boxer. The other has never forgiven him. The one who still despises him said he doesn't deserve to be admired the way he is after what he's done. What would you say? if it happened to your daughter. She was fuming when the boxer would appear on the show. Toot Le Monde en parole, which is translated as everyone's talking about it, last year, so into 2012, they depicted him as the girl's bodyguard. I mean, this is shit. I mean, I'd, I'd feel so shit. She said that he was Fox's right-hand man. He was more than just a bodyguard. Even if he refuses to admit it, Adonis beat those girls, confirms the other victim. She's the one who has forgiven him. And she said, I think he was just following orders to stop Fox from killing us. It was to protect us from the worst. Another added, the other guys were manipulated too, not just the girls. At the time, Adonis was often in the gym. I think it was his escape. He definitely wouldn't admit it, but I think he was also afraid of the boss, confirms another victim. But the one thing I want to say is these were young girls and they did fall in love with these guys as well. So sometimes when they come out with this stuff, I feel that they're, they're, they're a bit tinted with their, what they're saying. Well, Adonis was unaffected by the most recent revelations when it came to his performance in the ring against Bellew. BBC Sport wrote this on the fight. Bellew drew blood from Stevenson's nose early in the third round, but had to take some punishing blows from the champion's big left hand. Stevenson went down after an exchange in the fourth, but referee Michael Griffin ruled that it was a slip. The Canadian then caught Bellew with a right to the ribs that set up the left hand blow which sent his rival to the canvas before the fight was stopped. 
After another impressive victory, Sports Illustrated named Stevenson their Fighter of the Year, and Adonis declared, I'm an example for Quebec. I'm the first black person from Quebec who had problems and who became a world champion. By February 2014, he'd signed with Al Heyman and jumped from ABO to Showtime. Stephen Espinosa, the head of Showtime Sports, told reporters on a conference call, We've been waiting for Adonis, or waiting for Superman if you will, for quite some time. Three months later, and Adonis was making his third defence of the WBC title against the Polish-born Andre Farfana at the Bell Centre in Montreal. Once again, before the fight, his past came back to haunt him when Tim Starks of Queensbury Rules admitted that he had no plans to bring up the fighter's past again before the Fonfara fight. But then, Starks saw a Showtime promo, scored to lyrics like, So let me be your hero. I want to be your hero. The word hero nagged at Starks, who said, Maybe if Showtime hadn't put that song in the background, I wouldn't have felt compelled to mention it. But now, I feel like I have to. I would rather like Adonis Stevenson. I would rather not have a bad guy to root against. I would rather he be a redemption story. But now when he wins, I'll be torn. Well, Showtime's Stephen Espinosa admitted that they probably wouldn't mention it on air unless they found it relevant. And he said it's not something that we're going to shy away from or intentionally avoid. But at the same time, it's not something we're going to go intentionally out of our way to mention. So into the fight, and Adonis Stevenson dropped Fofana in the opening round and in the fifth round. But the challenger valiantly battled on to put down the champ in the ninth round. Stevenson and Fofana traded blows in the last couple of rounds, but it was Stevenson who took the unanimous decision. After the Fofana fight, Adonis was being quizzed on his history of violence once again. And Steve Buffery from the Toronto Sun went to his training camp at the uh, Bramala Boxing Club on December the 3rd, 2014. And he spoke to the whole team from trainers to sparring partners. And they all had the same responses. So middleweight Phil LaGreco said, you know, a lot of people, a lot of haters bring up Adonis's past. But he's a good guy, a wonderful guy. And, you know, a lot of people put a front once they become someone. He hasn't. Sugar Hill Stewart, who was now his trainer, uh, called Stevenson a nice, caring person. The former Canadian national team representative, a guy called Troy Ross, said that Stevenson is a good guy, a real family man. Yvonne Michelle, of course, said Adonis is a genuinely good person and said that Stevenson doesn't understand why people keep bringing up his past, particularly in a public forum like a weigh-in. What Steve Buffery rightly thought was he, as in Michelle, fails to understand that it's difficult for victims of violent crime to move on, and it's easy for anyone with a grudge to bring up his past. ESPN's Nigel Collins referred to this recurring theme when he said, is it newsworthy on a regular basis every time an athlete performs? I would say no. As long as the truth is out there and people have a way of making their own decisions. In a way, you can understand why he's saying that. But it's it's difficult because, you know, there's many people that have been affected by actions, not so much by Adonis himself, but actions similar to what was taken when he was involved in that organised crime group. So it's difficult for people to forget about stuff like this. Now, moving back to Yvonne Michel, and he said that, 
he as an Adonis has a hard time to understand why they are still holding it against him because in every other sport or anywhere in society he would be taken as an example of someone who was in a bad environment and did everything needed to change his life. But there's always someone somewhere that brings it up and I know that hurts him very much. Steve Buffery wrote that Stevenson certainly is a boxer with many strengths. His record speaks to that. At the time, he was 24 and 1 with 20 knockouts. As a man, clearly, there have been disturbing weaknesses, but his friends insist that the way he has turned his life around shows that he is also a man of great strength. Now, at times during this episode, you may find yourself torn, exactly like Tim Starks or maybe Brian Curtis can help assist with the opinions and forming your opinion on Adonis Stevenson and he wrote about his feelings in the perspective of a writer and said boxing doesn't just treat a fighter's criminal history as an indiscretion to be overcome it can also become part of the frisson of the fight a real selling point fans buy pay-per-views to see the bad guy lose so although a sports writer may believe he's dredging up a boxer's past in the name of justice he may also be unwittingly dashing off the poster copy that the promoter was too shy to write himself. The writer may be conjuring the ultimate remorseless heel, the guy who made his prostitutes box each other for Christ's sake, whom the viewer can't help but watch. The bleeding heart swings hard, and he's surprised to find that he, not Adonis Stevenson, is the one on the mat. Nigel Collins said consumers control boxing, and anyone who thinks Stevenson is appalling can vote by not watching the fights. You can't help but wonder that if he was not successful in the boxing ring, then many would have kept their distance from a guy who was a former convicted criminal. Yep, former pimp, former guy that threatens to stick a knife in someone's young girl's arsehole, I still can't get rid of it, I'm sorry, I just can't. I mean, I'm laughing, it's just not on. Moving on, the fact that Stevenson's Showtime debut averaged uh, 672,000 viewers and peaked to 800,000 viewers demonstrated that he was never going to be dropped not while he was making all the promoters and television companies that amount of money you know it just was he was only going to go one way so at this point Stevenson and the WBO champion Sergei Kovlev well they should have faced off we I remember discussing this back in the day and they should have had the unification fight just a fight that just never materialized unfortunately from December 2014 to September 2015, Adonis Stevenson fought and defeated modest opposition. Sakio Bika being that slight exception, but he was more of an actual super middleweight and probably didn't belong in the light heavyweight division. In fact, I think it was the only fight he ever had at the division and he was 35 years old. But due to the fact that Adonis hadn't fought a top-ranked opponent in the last two years, the Ring magazine correctly stripped him of his title. Adonis fought once in 2016, beating another average opponent, and then again knocked out Fofana, this time in two rounds in their rematch. And his uh, only fight in 2017, he was just a one-year fighter kind of guy. But, you know, he's getting on. Afterwards, he was asked who he would fight next, and he replied, I'm the greatest at 175 pounds. I don't have to call anybody out. There was much discussion about who would be Adonis Stevenson's next opponent. Badu Jack uh, called him out after beating Welshman Nathan Cleverly uh, to win the WBA regular title, to which Adonis replied that it was a good performance by Jack. He beat Cleverly, so now he can call me out and I'm ready. I'm ready to fight. 
and I'm ready to unify the title. For Andre Ward, for him, I'm ready. It doesn't matter to me which one. It's great for me to unify and add another title to my connection. I want to unify. This is my goal, and that's what I want to do. He definitely wants to unify. He never does. <laughs> However, the WBC ordered the fight between Stevenson and the Colombian Adair Alvarez, uh, who was their number one contender at the time. Uh, and he had actually already taken some step-aside money from GYM as well. On December the 6th, 2017, the WBC announced that they would investigate Stevenson's title reign and his lack of mandatory defences. A week later, they stated they would allow Stevenson to avoid Alvarez once again in order to fight Badu Jack. Alvarez signed to fight Kovalev in 2018, which opened the door for Stevenson Jack. Initially, Showtime confirmed the fight would take place on May 19th at the Bell Centre in Montreal, but on April 23rd, the card was moved to their Air Canada Centre in Toronto. Before the fight, once again, Tales of Stevenson's pimp past were revisited in the media and Badu Jack fueled the fire with his comments to the press. In a pre-fight interview, Jack told the media, I mean, only God can judge him, Jack said. I'm not saying it, I'm just saying what people have been telling me. When you said that he's got all the support in Canada, I don't think he's got a lot of support here. But you know, only God can judge him. That's on him. I don't know nothing about his past anyway, so I'm focusing on winning the fight. I don't care what he did in the past. After four years, Adonis was finally in with a tough opponent and the results showed. It was a competitive bout, but it ended in a majority draw with one judge scoring the fight 115-113 in favour of Jack, whilst the other two judges overruled the decision, scoring it 114-114. During the post-fight interview, Adonis Stevenson said, I won the fight because I hurt him in the body. I hurt him in the body and he got slowed down. I kept the pressure on him and he was moving and moving slick, slick, but I touched him more of the time and I think I won this fight. Well, two months later, the WBC ordered Stevenson to make a mandatory defence against their undefeated interim champion, Alexander Gerdvik, who was 15-0 and at the time. In the case of a deal not being reached, they set Persbridge out 2nd of July 2018 where the split would be 65-35 in favour of the official champion, who was Stevenson. Now, Phil Weiss of Tom Brown's TGB Promotions made a winning bid of $3.1 million, while Yvonne Michelle came in second with a bid of $2.1 million and top-ranked third with $1.6 million. But right after Weiss won the bid, he actually withdrew the offer, making Michelle the purse winner bit confusing top rank smelled a rat and accused tgb and gym of conspiring with their respective bids due to their affiliation with al Heyman, stevenson's advisor now top rank believed that the two promoters knew what each other were going to bid and deliberately diverged a scheme to win the rights on the fight for the least amount of money possible hence weiss uh, pulling out his bid after winning it and Aram said to ESPN that what happened was outrageous on Heyman's part. When Tom Brown wins and then he pulls his bid, so Yvonne gets it with the low lower bid, that's dirty play. You win the purse bid and immediately say, I'm passing. You can't do that. Well, Michelle denied that they'd ever colluded and 
said that he's never even met Weiss before. Uh, Michelle responded to Aram's claims through ESPN and said, I learned only shortly before the bid Phil Weiss was there representing TGB. I had never met him before the purse bid and I also had no idea how much he was going to bid. So there you have it. On July the 6th, the WBC upheld the purse bids giving giving Michelle the promotional rights for the fight. Showtime then confirmed that they would televise the fight on the 1st of December 2018, scheduled to take place at the Videotron Centre in Quebec. And if you you recognise the date, 1st of December 2018, it's the date that Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fought. That was also on Showtime pay-per-view in about in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, it was their first bout. It feels only like... Yesteryear to us, it's, it's like what's like going into sort of five years ago. Crazy, isn't it? To think like you know this happened such a you know for us a short time ago, but it it, it yeah. feels it feels weird to sort of talking about it. Well, the forty-one-year-old Stevenson made his tenth world title defense since winning the belt against Chad Dawson in twenty thirteen. The champ hit the deck in the third round. Interestingly, all three judges scored it a ten-nine round to the Ukrainian rather than a ten-eight. However, Stevenson managed to recover and remain in front on two of the judges' cards going into the 11th round. Following a 10-punch flurry from Gerdvik, the referee Michael Griffin stopped the bout at 2 minutes and 49 seconds in the 11th round. Stevenson didn't seem to be in jeopardy. Michelle felt that Adonis was in control of the fight. Obviously, I was surprised when he went down, but his head never touched the canvas. Now, following the defeat, Adonis retreated to his dressing room where he was coherent. In fact, he was more upset than anything when Michelle showed him the scorecards. He then began to feel dizzy. The paramedics attended to him, placed him on a stretcher, where he left the video tron centre in an ambulance and was taken to a local hospital. Michelle said, It was sudden. He didn't seem exhausted. He wasn't tired. While at the Quebec City Hospital, it was confirmed that his condition had become critical so he was moved to intensive care. Adonis was suffering from swelling in the brain and internal bleeding. The doctors advised Michelle and Stevenson's family he wouldn't survive the night. Stevenson proved the doctors wrong and survived the night. Then they performed surgery to relieve the swelling, where a portion of his skull had to be removed. On December the 3rd, the Montreal Gazette reported... Blainville boxer Adonis Stevenson has been put into a medically induced coma after being knocked out Saturday night in his light heavyweight title fight in Quebec City. It was revealed that doctors had indicated to promoter Von Michel the next 48 hours will be crucial. On the Sunday evening, Michel said in a tweet Stevenson's condition was upgraded to stable from critical, which is, under the circumstances, good news, he said. Stevenson was taken to the neurosurgery hospital, which specialised in head trauma. When he arrived, he had serious concussion symptoms. Late on Saturday night, group Yvonne Michel indicated on social media again, Stevenson had been transferred to the intensive care unit. Placed under observation for at least six hours, it appears his condition deteriorated to the point where he was placed in a medically induced coma. While it has not been explained why this procedure was done in Stevenson's case, it is sometimes used to reduce pressure on the brain in in cases of hematomas or cerebral hemorrhage. Two days later, 
another article was written on Adonis Stevenson's condition by Sadafa Banaji in the uh, once again the Montreal Gazette, and this is what the article said. It said the medical team treating boxer Adonis Stevenson said on Wednesday it is too early to say anything definitive about his prognosis as he continues to receive treatment for a severe traumatic brain injury. Intensive care specialist Dr. Alexis Trujan told reporters the 41-year-old fighter remains in a stable but critical condition. Trudan said he would not offer an informed opinion on the Montreal boxer's chances of a full recovery. He then told reporters at a news conference requested by the family, if I had clear answers, I would give them. The family would like them to. They're asking the same questions as you. He added that Stevenson is under mechanical ventilation, is sedated and requires specialised neurological monitoring. Truden said by the time Stevenson arrived at the emergency room, he wasn't able to speak. His level of consciousness was altered, like someone who was sleeping deeply. When you have a traumatic brain injury, you have the first injury and then over time in the first minutes and hours after the injury, that's when the damage starts to progress. That's when your level of consciousness will be altered. A neurosurgeon quickly operated to reduce bleeding in the brain. Turgeon said the next step for Stevenson is to get past the critical phase, which doctors hope can happen by the end of the week. That will depend on the results of monitoring, further scans and assessment of his condition. He then added, when we are satisfied with the monitoring and his condition, we will try to decrease the sedation and drugs to keep him under controlled sedation. Sedation allows doctors to watch for secondary effects and the reduction in oxygen consumption in the brain. With all the treatment we're giving him, a person couldn't tolerate all that without sedation. Turgeon cautioned against using medically induced coma to describe Stevenson's condition, saying the preferred medical term is an altered level of consciousness. Stevenson does have certain factors in his favour. Turgeon said he's a healthy man, in good shape, and we didn't suspect any damage to his brain prior to the injury. Turgeon continued that there are likely to be some lasting effects, it's a traumatic brain injury. The majority of people come out of it with after effects. Turgeon said Stevenson's family members, who are by his bedside, wanted to express thanks for all the messages of support they have received. He asked that people refrain from reporting medical details that do not come from official sources, because the family is affected by speculation and rumours that they read on social media. Stevenson is father to five children, including a newborn daughter. Stevenson's partner, Simone God, tweeted a message late Tuesday to Stevenson saying, his infant daughter misses him. You promise you'll be back for her after the fight and I know you'll be back. Love you. Following another scare, Michelle and the family were advised that if Stevenson emerged from his coma, he would probably be unable to see, hear and talk and would possibly have permanent damage according to doctors. Michelle said that Stevenson was still in a coma and on life support. And he actually said that he still needs uh, mechanical assistance to breathe and he has not regained consciousness. When we visit him, we cannot stay for long. Doctors do not venture an opinion on what lies ahead. So on December the 22nd, 2018, Adonis Stevenson awoke.
and Simone God, who was by his bed, issued a statement. She said he is healing from his injury in the private company of his family and his dedicated medical team. The next day, Montreal Gazette ran a headline saying a Canadian boxer, Adonis Stevenson, has regained consciousness. He had spent 22 days in an induced coma before waking up to find out that his life had changed forever. And this is what Adonis himself explained. He said, all I remember is hearing God's voice talking to me, telling me to relax and to take my time. I could also hear my kids' voices. They were all I could think about. I grew up without a father as he died before I was born. So I had that fight and determination inside of me not to let my kids go through the same situation as me. I couldn't let them grow up without me being there. On January the 26th, 2019, the Montreal Gazette again issued an update on a a Donald Stevenson. It said a Quebec boxer, Stevenson's condition is improving. His girlfriend, Simone God, said Saturday, announcing that he's taken his first steps since being hospitalized she said i'm happy to report that after months of grueling exercise and physiotherapy adonis has taken his first steps and is walking on his own adonis has also started communicating verbally and is talking to family friends and medical staff the news follows his brother pierre's update in late december that adonis was no longer required on a ventilator to breathe he could sit up and was able to do new things every day notably lifting his arms and legs by february of 2019 stevenson was moved to a medical facility in montreal canada to continue receiving treatment related to his recovery he continued to improve on a weekly basis talking and becoming more mobile every day he eventually went home to finish his rehabilitation Stevenson told Lepras, who leaked his criminal history in 2014, the improvement I have made is enormous. I improve my thinking about situations. I can better express what I feel. I am progressing, even if everything with the rehabilitation is blocked at the moment. This was due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic at the time. I am following the instructions of the government. Now, during this time, Adonis and his girlfriend's relationship had fallen on stony ground to the point that they separated. It was reported that shortly after Stevenson's hospitalisation, Simone God requested and obtained to be appointed provisional administrator of her husband's property, which, to be fair, is not unusual, considering that they were not married and she was not his next of kin. However, six months later, a judge ordered the management of Adonis Stevenson's assets to be handled by an independent accounting firm. Stevenson explained to La Presse his side of the story in great detail and said, I want to help people who have concussion problems. I realise that if they don't have someone to help them, it's easy for people who are vulnerable to be tricked. I was vulnerable. I am not fooling myself. I have been vulnerable. I felt betrayed. Simone God... I'm not going to lie, I loved her very much, but she abused my trust. She is a good manipulator. There are a lot of things she has done. This situation is very hard for me. I thought it was for life, me and her. Wherever I was, she was there, you know. When you love the person, and you know they will never do anything to hurt you, it hurts. It hurts, really. She really hurt me. 
well, Adonis continually said, I don't want to start throwing insults through media. I will let the legal system settle this. When you have a concussion like that, you realise that family is the cornerstone. Everyone who has problems like that, if they get a chance to see their family, go for it. It's very important. When I was with the other Simone, I was blocked. I couldn't express myself. I can see how I feel now. Before, I was afraid because she put me in doubt. Now I'm free, 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 a free man, he says. I have no one left to tell me what to say. I feel that my mother is there for me. I feel surrounded by love with my mother and family. Mentally, this is something that is good for me and that allows me to recover. I recovered a lot. My mum really played a big part in this. I feel better mentally. The press, they can, they then wrote about this situation. Said, the boxer can now see his four other children uh, born from previous unions and he hopes to see his little daughter, Adona, again. Stevenson finished by saying, I didn't kick Simone out with my daughter. She fled in the night from the condo she had rented without leaving an address. The novel that Simone invented is far from the truth. She was not the sweet and caring lover she claims to be. I'm now using the means to see my daughter as I see my four other children. Now, a few days before Adonis said this, Simone God issued an open letter on social media to Stevenson in great detail, detailing her side of the story. Now, before we take segments from this very in-depth three-and-a-half-page letter from Simone, it's important that we explain that Stevenson's mother actually filed a lawsuit against his ex-girlfriend, Simone God, with allegations that she took this $891,000 from Stevenson's bank account. Simone God denied the allegations and emphasised her role in the recovery of Adonis and wrote off all the accusations against her as bad will from his family. Yvonne Michel presented his version of the situation and said, Adonis is fine. He is well surrounded and advised. He will soon make a public statement to present his point of view on the situation. Simone God said many things from her perspective. Adonis will now be able to give his version. Adonis is not on the street. He still has a lot of money, but not enough for the rest of his life. In the past year, there has been some significant leakage of money, but the gap is now closed. Now here are some points from Simone's letter that she sent out on social media in April of 2020. Dearest Superman, I have had no way to contact you for the past few months ever since your mother and siblings sent your attorney to steal you away in the middle of the night and have prevented all access to you from me, your trainers and others who really care for you. They took you without so much as a word to me right before a court hearing they set up to take control of your assets. They did so knowing the state of your fragile mind, hoping that if they had you a few days before the hearing, they could manipulate you into saying what the court needed to hear to give them control of your estate. Your birth mother and half-brothers conspiring with the attorney to take you away from us, throwing me and your child out of our home, moving themselves in, stopping your treatments and preventing you from seeing me or your daughter. So I roll the next bit and it says, I've lost my soulmate, my best friend, because a mother 
who you were never close to and who abandoned you as a child has taken advantage of a system that says because we are not married I cannot keep on caring for you a system that allows an estranged parent and siblings to control because we had not yet wed before your injury in order to get control of your money they had to take you away from us I am willing to let them keep everything if they just give you back to us. This is all I want. Somehow they have manipulated the situation and our lack of planning for a tragedy. And we didn't see this coming to take you away from us. It was you who didn't feel a connection to them because of what they had done in the past. The lawyers, your birth mother, half siblings and baby mothers have something to gain from us being apart. They can get money now that they couldn't get when you wanted to say save it for us. We never got the chance to say goodbye to our relationship. When your unscrupulous lawyer ran off with you after conspiring with your family to jump into this long and expensive legal battle they are surely profiting from. Unfortunately, the lawyer took advantage of the family dynamic issues only to place you with your family members and making a deal with them. If you were broke, they would have left you to me to care for. I'm sure everyone reading can feel this is true, but they know there are millions of money to be had and now they want to come and behave as if I am the enemy. Your mother is talking about $890,000 I've never taken and is trying to ruin my reputation when she knows nothing of our finances and life. Your mother and her attorney haven't allowed you to see your daughter and they are asking for a paternity test when you signed the birth certificate and added our daughter as your beneficiary prior to the boxing incident when you were 100% yourself. So, breaking off then for a moment to talk about this statement and what essentially has happened here, it's obviously very difficult because we don't know the true detail behind it. On one hand, I see a long-term partner of his in Simone God who had been with him for quite some time by the way and obviously knew about his past and you know had a child with him and they had obviously made plans prior to this incident occurring in the ring against Gerdvik and yet it kind of felt like she was the one that was kind of victimized here and I think what you have to go back to to make your opinion on this is the very beginning of the story that we've presented like his early beginnings about how he was put into foster care, how his mother didn't really want to know at the beginning, how he didn't even get to see his other family members on a regular basis. He was kind of dumped and left to that street life. And it was that street life that got him into the situation, which has been the focus of this conversation for this episode. So it's it's hard because you, all you want to do is just say, well, hang on a minute, it's that family. That family clearly seen an opportunity to profiteer off the back of all the money that he'd made. And his partner, because she wasn't married to him, had no legal rights, had no legal rights whatsoever to yeah. do anything. And that's what it feels like. That's what it comes across like to me, reading that heartfelt statement from her. You know, I, I see sort of genuine animosity that's, possibly come from the family and they've seen an opportunity to do it i mean i don't know 100 percent which side of it is true but if this was a family dispute like many family disputes happen on a day-to-day -day basis you know it's hard isn't it because 
we don't know the relationship at that moment in time that he had with his family, whether that relationship was being repaired. So we can't truly sit here and say, actually, his family were just profiteering from him. But then we also don't know what the relationship was really like with Simone behind the scenes. So it's a case of who do you believe? Do you believe the, the heartfelt play via social media? Do you believe the fact that his family were just looking after him and that they could see that she was trying to profiteer off the back of him? It's a difficult one. And I suppose it's take that information into consideration and make what you will of it and believe what you will of it. But it's... Uh, to, to me, I kind of like if I'm gonna side with anybody or or sort of sway to anybody's story here, I'd probably believe Simone's over the family, given what we've learned about his family originally. I agree with you in a way. I feel like he's been a bit exploited. Uh, I mean, look, he's he sided with them. Uh, I believe um, in now she's living in Dubai or something like that, or Saudi Arabia. She's living there and she's a bit of a she does a thing with sort of social media and stuff. And the, I, I'm with you though, Sean. I think. That, you look at this story, you've heard Simone God's name, her statements backing him up pretty much throughout this story, hasn't she? She's saying that he's more, you know, he's, he's an inspiration to young people that have come through troubled background and troubled life to then go on to improve themselves. And and he doesn't mention anything about his mum. He doesn't, the only thing he mentioned about his mum is him being abandoned. He does mention her being this, her, he's, she's a strong woman and whatever else, but they left him, man. They left him, and you do wonder if they'd have showed him that love, then, you know, he may not have gone on to do the things he'd done. I mean, we quite, we tried to elaborate on that slightly and mention that, and I think it's pretty clear. The only one throughout this story, really, that's ever had his backing, let's be honest, has been Michelle, his, his promoter, and and Cece, his, his, his girlfriend. Unfortunately, they never, they never got married, though. So it just shows you, doesn't it? You know, get your, if, you, if you want to be with that person, marry him, because if things like this happen... You can have a f- money-grabbing family. At the end of the day, he's with him. He's living with his mum. So he's going to back his mum. Uh, mate, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? But I'm with you, Sean. I'm, I'm feeling signing. I'm, I'm sort of side with her more than anything. Then I feel like they just wanted to get her out of the way so they can uh, cut up his money, basically. Well, if you look on his social media account, in May of 2022, he actually posted a picture of Simone and his daughter and he put the comment the police have issued an arrest warrant for Simone God for the kidnapping of my daughter Adonia Adonis who I miss very much so this was going back to May of only last year and you know he's even posting stuff about his mum you know his next post after that talks about how how he loves his mum and you know Mother's Day and and then obviously when you go through more posts on his social media account you go a little bit later on into May again and he said the police have issued an arrest for kidnapping my daughter and he's put the last time I saw my daughter was in 2019 during my concussion accident at boxing when I was working hard to come back from my concussion and I have never seen my daughter since it has been three years I have seen my daughter and this was a post earlier on in 2022 and then if you do scroll through his social media you can kind of get the feeling of how much he he is missing boxing but you know that's something to certainly keep an eye on with his story is obviously what's going on there behind the scenes because it is obviously you can make what you will of everything that we spoke about in this episode do you think he's been manipulated is he still the same guy he once was in terms of rational thinking i mean looking obviously on on his social media accounts you know there's a there's a lot of stuff on there but Of course, there's still a little bit more left in this episode to cover off before we give our ultimate opinions of of Adonis Stevenson. And moving on, 
and after two long years of vigorous rehabilitation, Stevenson managed to get his life back to some normality and it was reported that he was living with his mum in the city of Laval in Quebec after selling his home. Adonis briefly told the Montreal Gazette by telephone, I'm doing very good, I'm better, I feel better now, I'm alive and I'm not alive for nothing. I remember a lot, but I won't lie and say I remember everything. If you ask me if I remember going to the hospital and being operated on, that I don't remember. But Michelle's memory is vivid, and it's clear from his voice he still remains personally affected, and he said, I never wish something like that to happen to anyone in boxing, any promoter. I've known this man a long time. I felt responsible for him. I keep asking, what could have been done to prevent that? But Michelle has since said that it was one punch at the right moment and the right place, I guess. Stevenson's trainer, Yvonne Sugarhill-Stewart, said, I remember it, but don't think about it. It was one of the most difficult times I've had as a trainer. To have that person lost, it was a difficult situation. Nobody knew. Nobody could tell. Nobody saw it. It just happened. Nothing could have changed what was going to happen. Honestly, I don't think about it much. He's alive, doing well, and that's what's more important to me. So on August 12, 2022... Last summer, the WBC awarded Adonis a Champion of Hope belt. And this is what they later wrote in their article. They said that Adonis Stevenson battles every single day to get him to, to improve, get stronger and inspire as the World Boxing Council's ambassador of hope. Adonis was WBC champion for five years, making 10 successful defences before that fateful night on December the 1st, 2018. He was stopped in round 11, lost his title and almost lost his life. He had suffered a traumatic brain injury. He was rushed to hospital, underwent surgery and was in an induced coma for three weeks. His breathing had been assisted. Then he breathed on his own again. But his life still hung by a thread. Never, ever did he give up hope. He said, when you have your life, you have hope. The doctors did a great job and then God applied the finishing touches it was like being reborn and beginning everything again I was like a baby I had to learn to walk to talk again I had to learn to control my body because I didn't have that then your determination and body are working together one without the other isn't possible it's the measure of a person Adonis bears no hard feelings against Alexander as well, saying that good and kind things about me. I respect him and he respects me. Adonis credits Emmanuel Stewart, who died not long after he joined the Cronk Gym, for his evolution as a boxer, commenting that Manny was magic. He showed me how to jab properly and put my left through with a boom. So he reckons he showed him that big Superman punch, even made it even harder. He was a great coach and a great teacher because he helped me in the ring and outside of it with lifestyle. Adonis continued, Manny's nephew, Sugar Hill Stewart, helped me so much. One person said he didn't have enough experience, but he saw everything Manny did. He helped me. I was quick and fast and I became world champion. I was born with natural power, but developing that is another thing altogether and it took me to another level. Boxing is a love. Boxing loved me and I love boxing. It's incredible to think that four years later, Adonis Stevenson has returned to the gym and from time to time can be seen hitting the bag and even taking a jog. Considering the seriousness of his injuries, it's amazing that he's been able to get back to that level of health. 
However, we do need to have an open discussion about how we feel about this story as a whole. But before we do, we want to leave you to think about a last quote from Adonis Stevenson. And it reads, When you become world champion, it's a dream come true. But when you become the champion of hope like me, it's much more. Because as a champion, I was dying. To be honest, I was dying. Now I've woke up. I took my life because God gave me this life to give hope to everybody. God gave me life again and now I will follow God. I am the miracle man. So that is the story of Adonis Stevenson. And what does this story mean to you as a listener? What does it mean to me and to you, Johnston? Is it about redemption or retribution? Was his time served in prison enough punishment? Or was it too lenient? Some have suggested that his severe head injury was actually karma for his sins in the past. Do you agree with that? Now, what Adonis did was quite simply unforgivable for many, but others believe that he has paid the price for his wrongdoings when he went to prison, almost died, and was exploited by either his family or his ex-girlfriend. So at this point, Johnston, we now get to have this final conversation on this story, and there's so many questions there. Where do you start? Where do you start? Initially, when, you, when you're looking at him as a young child, you, you can't help but feel sorry for him. He's moved into a new country, new language. His family abandoned him, pretty much. He was out on his own. They, well, they did abandon him. He found the streets. He was probably he was manipulated because he was the youngest out of that group of the Black Panthers and then obviously turning into this escort agency. And from there, that's where I sort of I, I lose. I, I can't help but just feel for those poor young girls and the things that he did that were documented, you know, he, he was a part of that crew. He was bashing up these girls. Just, I mean, that one girl was getting beaten up every day. She was so exhausted, wouldn't she? She even said it. Actually, what he busted her ribs, her jaw. All of them did that. And then to find out that, you know, it was a threat, but the threat with the knife up the jacksey and, oh, I'm going to fuck you up the butt, fuck you up the ass was, was just, it was just too much for me to bear that. And then, then turning the knife around, so it went on a sharp bit, but it was on a blunt bit, and pretend to cut someone's fingers off. It's a lot to take, isn't it? It's a lot for me to look at Adonis Stevenson and think, well, I can forgive you for for any of that shit, because I don't, honestly, because I, all, I, all I think about is if those poor young girls and how he he was a part of that crew. Yes, he may not have been the general, as they said, he's more of the lieutenant, but he, he allowed it to happen. The one thing I will then say is that he did go to prison, but that was way too lenient. If he was so fortunate, I mean, we've done that. We think about Tim Doc Anderson. He's still serving how many years behind bar for for killing Rick Elvis, who was an absolute arsehole to him, which is probably potentially a self defence. If anything, he should be out walking the street. Adonis Stevenson, on the other hand, I don't think he should have had a boxing career. I think he should have been in prison for at least ten to fifteen years after not only doing what he did to them girls, but to also do what he did to that guy where he had a prison officer that said he's been a prison officer for 11 years and he had never seen anything like it in a prison that was so bad that the time you spend is doubled. I mean, how bad is that prison? And he's in 11 years, prison officer says that that's the worst thing. And for him to say he's a victim, well, he can clearly handle himself. So he ain't that much of a victim, is he? So that's where I battle with myself. Uh, And then you have this situation where he gets the head injury and I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Honest to God, I wouldn't. In a way, I can understand why people would say that it is karma. And then to have his family come into play again, and they're extortion for, for me, I feel like they're exploiting him financially. 
I sort of feel now maybe it's, it's balanced itself out a little bit, but I can't help but still detest the guy for what he'd done. And I, and, and the fact that he kept asking why people still bringing up my past, you deserve to be, if you want to be in a spotlight, you deserve every time you're in the spotlight to get abuse. That's just my honest opinion for the shit you did. You deserve that. So I'm glad he's found God. You know, he calls himself the miracle man. Fantastic. You know, but I certainly would not be the type of guy, you know, it, we do this show. If we ever had a situation where Danny said he wanted to come in, I wouldn't personally want to talk to him, Sean. That's my honest opinion. Well, there you go. There's your opinion on it. And I can understand and I can imagine that people's opinions will be varied in it. People will of agree course, that yeah. people will agree that he served his time in some way, shape or form, whether that be through prison, whether that be for a life changing injury. People might say it's karma. There are very people. You know, people in the world like that, that will certainly sit there and go, well, he got what he deserved. I try to take a more neutral approach to it as best possible. I don't agree with anything he did and I can't condone absolutely anything he did because it was horrific. You mentioned it earlier. You talk about having children. I've got children. My children are girls. If any of them grew up and this was what happened to them, I'd feel like I'd want to turn into John Wick or Liam ne- Liam Neeson from Taken because that's ultimately that is what any father would do for their child. Of course it is. So for that element of it, how can you ever forgive somebody for that? He has then gone on to have this boxing career, which he's been revered for. Although his boxing career, as a side note, he didn't ultimately fight the guys that we wanted to see him fight. And that's something we've not really touched on because it is the darker side of boxing. But I feel like that has to be mentioned here that I always looked at his boxing career as a guy who didn't fight the best of the best. He never fought Andre Ward and he never fought Sergei Kovalev at that time when they were their best. Would he have gone on to fight him if he would have got through Gerdvik without that injury? That remains to be seen. But he was like Gary Russell, weren't he, who fought once a year. So it just kind of makes you wonder, would he have ever gone on to do that if he wouldn't have had that life-changing injury? Who knows? But then, looking at where his life is now, it genuinely looks like he is trying to do things for the better i mean looking at his social media over the christmas period of 2022 and he's out there delivering toys to homeless shelters and doing things and he's he's trying in his own little way to sort of make some type of amends that's what it looks like that's what i interpret from it that's not me condoning what has been done in the past because when something like that happens and if you commit that type of a crime you should live with that till the day you die you can't just forget about it and gloss over it it's not like decorating the living room of your house and painting over the old paint and trying to act like it's new at the end of the day that old paint will always stay and the same with him that life part of his life will always be there how much of it he remembers now makes me wonder I hope he remembers all of it genuinely I hope he remembers all of it because he needs to live with that he needs to be reminded of that because that should keep him to be the best person he wants to be now. And that's the positive side of it. I'll be positive at the end and say, if he wants to continue to be the best person that he wants to be, he's always got to be brought back back down to earth and reminded of the things that happened. Even though they were over 20-odd years ago, it doesn't matter. Them victims are still living with that. I mean, I don't even know if if some of them victims are still alive. I would imagine that they are because they were young girls at the time. But you don't know what impact that's had on their life. I think, if anything, like... In this day and age now, I think the thing that I would like to see, and I know it probably won't ever happen, but a bit of restorative justice. 
you know, him actually sitting down with these individuals face to face and saying, look, I am sorry for what I did. It won't take away the years of hurt and pain from them, but it may give them a little bit of closure to be able to move on in their lives if they haven't done so already. So maybe a little bit of that is something that is needed here. But ultimately what he's trying to do is he's trying to move his life forward, coming back from that traumatic injury and he's trying to do good in the world. And obviously you can't fault somebody for doing that, but that feeling that you said of of the past is never going to go away. No matter what happens in his life from this point onwards, this is always going to be brought up. This is always going to be talked about. It's why we're doing a darker side of boxing episode on it. It's a moment. It's a it's an incident. It's an occurrence in the sport that fits in with this show and what we do for this show. So if it does get to Adonis and he listens to it and he feels a little bit offended by it, well, you know, I'm not really that bothered if he feels offended by it. At the end of the day, we could have been a hell of a lot worse than what people have said about him. I bet there's a lot of people out there that have said a lot worse about this guy. 100%. I think we've been very much neutral as possible and objective as possible, although I can understand your personal feelings towards him. But for me, it has been a tale that I've ultimately enjoyed talking about because it exposes a lot of information i didn't necessarily know about so i like the storytelling element of this show and and this episode but obviously the crimes that were committed uh, uh, are hard to stomach and i do walk away from this episode feeling a little bit of that horrible feeling that we do get from some of these when we cover them and you think you know this can happen to somebody you know this can happen to one of your family members what happened to them young girls or them years ago yeah, I think that's the, that's the niggling thing for me is, you know, I just can't get past that. And I know the one thing I will say is, again, is that with Stevenson, he he didn't commit another crime. And I, we really tried to find some information on that. We really dug through the archives of historic newspapers and anything we could possibly find to see if there was another arrest or anything, not, not even a speeding ticket. So in that respect, I suppose he had learned he had learnt something while he was in prison because uh, he never re- re- he never committed another crime again. So, you know, maybe he did. Maybe that sentence was enough for him. Maybe that prison was bad enough for him to realise, I do not want to be here because he was still quite young. He was youngish. You know, he ended up turning over professionals sort of in what? He didn't turn up until he was 29, did he? But he was like fighting 26, I think it was, when he when he ended up in the amateurs. He eventually got out of prison, what, 2001 and in 2003 ends up sort of going amateur. But... There's nothing. So in that respect, I have to respect that. I have to say, do you know what? He's made a mistake and he he hasn't ever re-offended. Saying that, though, I just, it is, it's so difficult because in the other aspect of it is, is that, yes, he was in his, what, they say teenager. He was like 19, 20. He was, you you think how you were at that age and you know you wouldn't have ever found yourself in that situation before. But he was probably the the brain, you know, the the education in him. He was probably about fifteen. Let's be honest, probably about sixteen in his head. So look, I, I, I try my best to try to feel a little bit. I don't feel sorry for him. I will never feel sorry for the guy, even with what happened with him. I don't feel sorry for him. But has he has he has justice been served? I suppose in a way it has. But it's I, I battle with it all the time. As a boxer, though, Sean, you're right. He didn't. Uh, I know he, he was a late bloomer, but he avoided fights for me. Absolutely. There was there was so many times he was like a Russell Jr. once a year. Uh, didn't impress me. Though. But that 2013 year was a great year for him, you know, with Dawson and Bellew. I mean, remember them, both them 
fights and uh, he, he looked like the, the real deal. I and mean, that was when we sort of found out odd little bits about him, but we didn't dig in to the archives as much as we have of this. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I think one day, one day after sort of one moment, I feel, yeah, maybe because of his that bad upgrading, maybe he was manipulated a bit, but he was a big, strong guy. I don't think he was that manipulated by that group. And I think he was just as much as an antagonizer, just as he was a victim. And what he'd done to those young girls, I just, I just can't get get through my head um, how someone could ever want to do that. You've got to be some kind of monster and you've got to have something deep within to want to do that. And yeah, that, that's that's what nags at me, mate. But yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating tale, though. I mean, look, once again, it it's weird sort of coming up to, to this literally today. Most of these guys we do, it's way back when, and most of them have either passed or they're in prison still. So... Yeah, it's it's been an interesting one. It really has. It's been a real eye opener for me. It's been a real eye opener for me. And if it's been an eye opener for you guys that are listening to this episode and you've got any thoughts, feelings or opinions on it, then do let us know at darker underscore side underscore pod on Twitter. Or you can find us across all socials at the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. That's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's YouTube. You can find us on TikTok. If you've not subscribed to us on any podcast platform, you can find us on Apple, on Google, on Spotify, on any available podcasting app out there. I just want to also take a moment to say thank you to the patrons of the podcast who subscribe to us through the monthly membership on patreon.com. You will have had early access and an ad-free version of this episode and I hope you thoroughly also enjoyed the episode just as much as everybody else. If you want to become a patron, you can do so by checking us out at patreon.com forward slash BTR Boxing Podcast. And on there, you will see early access to episodes. You will see ad-free versions. Boxing Through the Decades is our patron-only exclusive series that we have on there at the moment. So it's certainly worth checking out if you're in a position to be able to support what we do, the research we do, all of the outsourcing that we need to do to make this podcast even better. That support is much needed to be able to achieve that we hope you've enjoyed this episode about the tale of redemption or retribution the tale of adonis stevenson Podcast Network.